All right, uh, let's look in Ephesians chapter 4. I know that we've got a uh, little bit to go left in the book of uh, Philippians, but we're going to uh, give that a rest for just a couple of weeks here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, let's look at verses 11 through 16. And what we're going to look at is God's plan for you in your church. Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to find verse 11. And it says, and he gave some prophets and some, um, no, I'm sorry, he, he, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that... We henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by, uh, with, with, with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, verse 16, uh, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That is a theologically cram-packed passage. Uh, But we're going to, just like the slinky, stretch it out, see what's inside. Now the Lord Jesus has been risen for about a week now. If we were back in Jerusalem, things are starting to happen Uh, Hope that was thought to have been lost is now becoming solidified among the apostles. Likely by this time back then, Jesus has been seen alive by more than at least 20, maybe 30 of his followers. In a little more than a month then, there's going to be the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter will preach a sermon where 3,000 will come to Christ. God's plan is coming together with his church on, and really his church is on point with this as they, as they get ready to advance into enemy territory. They're going to spread the good news of Jesus risen from the dead. Now, where do we fit in all of this? I mean, we're 2,000 and some years later, but what is God's plan for you in light of the resurrection in your church? Well, I'm glad you asked, because now I can answer that in this message. You know, many Christians think they, uh, they do God a favor by, uh, by showing up to church. Um, many think that that's uh, just showing up, uh, you know, every once in a while is enough. Uh, but really, it's, uh, it's not. And, and the reason is this, is because most Christians do not study the Bible on their own through the week. Um, Sunday morning, you know, skipping every once in a while might, might be okay if, if that wasn't all that you received. Uh, but really, for most, most believers, if they only come on Sunday morning, that's all the Bible they get, and that isn't enough. You see, church does what nothing else can do. I mean, even, even healing is to be, and you know, air quotes, done in your church. There are no biblical, biblically based healing ministries outside a New Testament church. 
If you want to be healed, James chapter 5, verse 14 says to come to the elders of the church and have them pray for you. Uh, there, there just is no other setup like a church. Church does what nothing else can do. In verse 11 here of Ephesians 4, pastors are given to churches. And it's a weird symbiotic organism, this, this pastor church thing. It's designed by God to spread his kingdom. Um, anybody drink kombucha? Okay, yeah, yeah. We kind of got into that, and there's this blob of, of slime that sits on top of your stuff that does something to the tea that makes it good for you. Um, it's called a SCOBY. It's a symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast is what that stands for. It's a weird little critter, um, but, it, but it does something good, right? Uh, the relationship between a pastor and a church is kind of weird, but it does, it does something. I'm not calling you bacteria, all right? Don't, that, that's not the point of that, okay? Uh, it's just talking about a symbiotic relationship, right? Um, we don't really know how or why it works, but God has designed it this way. Um, and in verse 11, there, there's an intensive pronoun in the Greek where it says that he gave, it's he himself gave. Jesus himself set up this relationship and no other. See, these uh, pastors come from one source, that's, that's Jesus himself. Doctrinally solid churches, Christ-following churches, come from one source, and that is Jesus himself. Uh, the pastor-teacher is, is, is a gift from Jesus to each of his churches, and uh, the word pastor and teacher here, it, it's, it's in a construction uh, in the Greek that indicates that they refer to one person. It's not a pastor and a teacher, but the pastor slash teacher. And what that means then uh, is that the one who shepherds God's flock is the one who teaches God's flock. There's not a division of office here. Now, with all that kind of set up, then let's ask the question again, what is God's plan for you in your church? Well, first of all, let's uh, kind of ask what's supposed to happen in a church. What's supposed to take place? <clears throat> well, pastors are to equip you to do the work. We see this in uh, verse 12, that the pastor's responsibility for you in your church it says for the perfecting or the growing or maturing of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of christ the first thing we need to see is that pastors are found in churches pastors pastor churches pastors pastor people who meet together with him with each other because they have the lord in common they've been called out by him if that can't or doesn't take place then he can't be called your pastor and if you don't meet together then it really can't be called your church hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 to about 25 say that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together assembling is a good work church is a good work and if you know to do good james says if you know to do good and don't do it then it's sin james tells us that very plainly which means to our dismay often fishing is a sin if you forsake church to do it hunting would be a sin if you forsake church to do it laziness is a sin if you forsake church to do it i don't feel like coming is a sin if you skip church to do that 
I know I'm treading on thin ice here, but it's all right. I'm going to take a deep breath. Football is a sin if you neglect church to do it. If I was in Missouri, I'd say NASCAR, but you guys aren't big NASCAR fans here, all right? Home worship to avoid church is sin if you avoid church to do it. The reason is because pastors are given to churches to equip you, and if you aren't in church under the God-ordained leadership of that church, you cannot be equipped. You must submit to the authority structure that God has in place, and you must work within that authority structure for God to accomplish in you his designed purposes of equipping you to do the work of the ministry. I met a man in California several, several years ago. His name is R.C. Regali. I don't know what this R.C. stood for, but... Uh, He's a few years younger than I am. He has a nice family. But what astounded me about R.C. was his understanding of the importance of, of, of church in his life and in the life of his family. He was an engineer, brilliant fella. He had been offered jobs at different times that ranged anywhere from uh, 100000 225000 a year. But those jobs would require him to either move or to travel extensively, and he turned them down because he did not want to take his family out of their church. Now, now let that sink in just a little bit. Could earn up to a quarter of a million dollars a year, all he had to do was move, and he said no, because he understood the importance of his church in his family. The argument we hear often is that, you know, well, we, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. Well, that doesn't mean you can skip church. The priesthood of the believer, that, that, that doctrine which we hold very dear, uh, means that no one can stand between you and the Lord, uh, that, that nobody needs to interpret the word of God uh, for you but you and the Holy Spirit, uh, that there is not a mediator between you and your mediator, who is Christ, But that doesn't mean you can avoid church and expect to be used by God, that you can avoid church and expect to be equipped for any kind of service any other way than what God has already set up. There are a lot of church hurt people in town. And, and, And we've seen this, you know, everywhere we've been, literally everywhere we've been, we have seen this. Um that for you know, no fault of their own, they've been wounded in church, and some of them have been wounded horribly. But even they do not have a scriptural reason to stop coming to church. Church hurt people have biblical ways and options to deal with it, to get the healing, but staying home and staying away from church so as not to deal with it and not to heal from it would be sin. You, you cannot mature, you cannot be equipped by listening to radio preachers. Now, there's nothing wrong with radio preachers and teachers. My favorites are David Jeremiah and Alistair Begg. I just love his accent. If you know Alistair Begg, uh, he's just easy to listen to. But, but they don't and they can't pastor you. They, they can't equip you to serve and work in your church because they are not your pastor. They don't see you week to week. They don't even know you. How can they pray for you? 
They have nothing invested in you. Let me, let me get personal. Do you, do you pray for me? Do you, do you pray for, for my protection? Do you pray for, for my marriage? Do you pray for my spiritual growth? If you don't pray for me, you have nothing invested in me. It's no wonder things aren't going as well as you think they should if they're not. Your your pastor prays for you. Your pastor pleads with God on your behalf. He pleads for your obedience, for your growth, for your blessing, because he knows you. He loves you. I love you. No radio preacher is going to do that. God has designed that it happens this way in churches like this. It's his design because he knows it works. Pastors, secondly, equip you in churches. Nowhere else. There is no other system. There's no organism or way for you to be matured and equipped other than to come to church and hear God's word preached and taught by the same guy that sees you through the week. This is God's design. It's his plan. And we must do it his way if we're going to get his results. Of course, you have to listen to and to what's said and you have to go and do what's said or be what is said in order for it to take care of itself but you might say well I can do it by myself well, no you can't because God said you can't All right? God said this is the way it's going to be done uh, you cannot do it yourself because God says this is the way it's done you have to attend a church with a pastor with other believers why because God said so and sometimes that's all the reason we need and that's all the reason we get it works with our children and our grandchildren why do I have to do that Papa because I said so and that's enough right God said so that ought to be enough pastors are supposed to equip the saints under the work of the ministry unto the building up of the body of Christ. Now the only way for you to be equipped is for God to use your pastor and your fellow church members to do this. Now, the pastor's job is not to do your job. The pastor's job is to train you and in the long run then that ministry will be more effective Pastors aren't hired hands. Pastors are trainers. There is, they, they, they are equippers so that you can do the work. You need a pastor to be equipped. You need your pastor and your church to be trained. You need to submit to the leadership of your pastor and your church as long as that submission, of course, doesn't lead to something unbiblical or to sin. And, and, and that way you are ready to work. Once you're equipped... Once you're trained, once you're taught, then it's time to get to work. See, each believer has a function in this body. When each believer accomplishes that, then the church grows properly, coming ultimately to the measure of Christ's likeness. So you have a specific and measurable ministry to carry out. Every single one of you has something to do. You have a job. You have a mission there is something that only you can do, and it needs to be done, and it needs to be done by you. 
As a converted member of this church, you find your ministry and you do your ministry. It is why you are here just as, 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 as every part of your body does something, every part of this body of Christ is to do something. In this verse it says, uh, you know, there, there, there's two, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and it says that these things, uh, you know, pastors and teachers were uh, given by God to the church for the specific uh, reason of perfecting the saints so the saints could be doing the work of the ministry. It's the business of everyone. Every one of us is to carry out the work of the ministry, not just your pastor. I mean, your pastor had better be carrying on the work of the ministry, but he better not be the only one carrying out the work of the ministry. Pastors are given to churches for the perfecting of the saints. So the pastor is to specialize in equipping the saints for the work of the ministry that is ministering work. This is in order that, that our body of Christ can be built up by additions to membership in lost souls being saved, in, 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 in the maturing of the individual saints that are here already. Now, work, the work is the ministry. The spreading of the gospel is the ministry. Praying is the ministry. The hands-on stuff is the ministry. All too often, leaders are hired by congregations to do this work of the ministry. And the pastor is expected to teach, to evangelize the council, visit the sick, pray with the discouraged. And if the church grows in size and new members are added, then they take it as an indication that the congregation is growing and healthy and the pastor is doing his job that's not always the case if the church fails to grow the budget's not met then the one to blame is the pastor i mean he's hired to do the church work right that's unbiblical thinking you need to own this church you need to possess this church you need to make it yours you need to make it grow you need to do the work needed for this ministry to grow. You know, our, our, our daughters um, grew up in church, but not just, not just one church. It was hundreds of churches because um, we were missionaries. We had to travel to raise support. So they were always, some, sometimes they were in a different service. Uh, I mean, Sunday, morning, Sunday school and worship, they'd be in one service. Sunday night, they'd be in another service. Wednesday night, they'd be in another service, completely different churches. Um, it's just what happened. They had to, you know, perform as good little missionary kids. And uh, when they arrived on the field, they were often the only other qualified members to do the work of the ministry. Our daughters were, were in elementary uh, and they were, were teaching the younger elementary Sunday school because there was nobody else available to do it. And uh, they were always in the spotlight, always called on, always expected to pick up the slack that some immature or inconsiderate adult had, 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 had dropped the ball. And the time came when they moved out of the house that they were, they were done. You know, they had had enough. Once out of the house, once into college, they would, they would go to church, but they wouldn't serve. They weren't going to be told or made to do anything. And, and you know, they were made to serve, and now they were you know, not going to be made to do anything. They would come, they would attend, but that's all they wanted to do. And I, I really, in some respects, I can't blame them for that. I mean, looking back, I could have made some decisions that 
would have protected them. But the funny thing about looking back is you can see very well. You can't always see very well in the present or in the future. But they were done serving God until they grew up. Um, and by that I mean they began to, to love God for themselves. They began to cultivate their relationship with God, with him. Uh, then that relationship began to flourish. And when they grew up, they got over being the preacher's kid uh, that was made to do everything. Then they began to serve with pleasure. And they love it now because they love the Lord. They are both deeply involved in the work of the ministry in their own churches, but they had to grow up and get over it, so to speak. God prepared them for their own works of the ministry, but they had to step out from under mom and dad for a while. And that's fine. They needed to grow. Uh, but, but grown Christians work. The purpose of the pastor in the church is to prepare God's people for works of service. Perfecting or equipping is, is a word used for mending or, or, or preparing uh, like fishermen repair nets to get them ready to use. Um, the work you do is the ministry. The things that will grow and mature this church are the works of the ministry. If what you are doing is not growing and maturing you, and if what you're doing is not growing and maturing this church, then you're doing the wrong thing. See, this work will build the church. Your church can't fulfill its mission without you. God has brought us all together. He's, he's, he's designed the complexion, the makeup of this church. Uh, the role of the leader within the church has always been to help the members of the body grow in, 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 in their capacity to minister. And then each individual then has to find and use what God has given them to do that work. See, Paul here set the initial goal for our work of the ministry. We are to build up the body until we all reach the unity in the faith, right? And, and until we grow up, until we become mature. The first ministry of believers, now, now get this, this is not the only ministry of believers, but the first ministry of believers is to other believers. Let that set for just a sec. It is vital that we grow up unto him if we are to be uh, really a valid expression of jesus in this world then we must be mature believers the whole body grows and builds itself up in love as each part as each one of you does its work of the ministry with each other if you don't do your work the church doesn't grow we cannot mature without each other you do the work of the ministry and the church grows. And we're going to have a business meeting in a while. And by a while, I mean I have no idea how long. But maybe, maybe there should be an evaluation of sorts to see if, if I'm fulfilling my responsibilities as your pastor teacher. Um, I'm not afraid of that kind of thing. Maybe there are areas that I can improve upon. Uh, things uh, that I should do different, uh, things that would, uh, you know, things that would, well, things I can't see that I'm doing or not doing that, that I need somebody else's eyes on. 
just to make sure that I'm doing my work of the ministry. We must, we must work or the church doesn't grow. You know, often we'll have this attitude, well, why do I have to do all the church stuff? That's, that's, the, wrong, that's the wrong question. The right question would be, when do I get to do the church stuff? Is it a priority problem? Is it that, and, and again, let's be honest, that the Lord just isn't important enough to us. Maybe you put other things first. Maybe you're guilty of idolatry. Because anything that comes between you and God is an idol. Maybe it's a salvation problem. Some people, uh, you know, someone who is genuinely converted will have an insatiable love for the Lord, for his word, for his work, for his people. Maybe it is that you don't know the Lord. It's, maybe that's why the ministry isn't that important to you. You fill your schedule with everything except ministry work. You bump church if something else comes along. Uh, these are symptoms of, of some spiritual issues that need to be dealt with. Maturing within this body, growing more and more like Jesus, is your first calling. To equip the church for service, you must minister to one another first. Now, I said that the first ministry is to one another but it is by no means the only ministry we must reach out to the world to the lost we must we must work to win them to christ now don't don't misunderstand this focus on building one another is not is not selfish it's it's essential it's only as we grow towards maturity together that we can respond fully to jesus as he directs us by his word to serve out into the world our our effectiveness in communicating the gospel and the love of god to the world around us depends on how grown up we are in jesus and this kind of growth takes place as we members together of this body build one another up in love each each one of us doing our part ministering to one another none of this happens without your commitment to come and grow and serve number three you work you work until the job's done or until you're done so pastors are to minister till all the church attains at least three goals. So it's under the unity of the faith, the full knowledge of the Son of God. And that word knowledge is, it means precise, correct knowledge, correct and thorough understanding of the doctrine. Uh, that's just good old theology. Right? You've got to know what you believe and you've got to know why you believe. The second thing is unto a mature man, grown up in Christ. And third, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And as each of us functions in accord with what Jesus has given us to work with, uh, the whole body then, all of us, can enjoy this unity. We can become more spiritually mature. We become more like Jesus in all of his fullness. And that ought to be our goal. And see, we, we never get a vacation from being a Christian. And, and I don't mean the two-week kind. I mean, there's, there's never a time when you are not to be doing uh, the ministry work of some kind. You're always on the clock for the Lord. And really, this, this is the time to work. The rest will come in heaven. Right now, it's time to harvest. Remember the phrase, you can rest when you're dead? 
Yes, you can stop living for Jesus when you see him face to face. You see, we, we have no real retirement plan here on earth. We, our uh, work in the ministry, uh, I mean, we work until God promotes us. Uh, a Christian does not, you know, reach a state of maturity, and then he gets to coast for the rest of his life. We are always to be working to bring glory to God, always trying to learn more, always trying to bring more people into the kingdom. We don't focus on the time, we focus on the goal. Now look at verses 14 to 16. We see the design for our work once again. It says that we're not tossed as children by every wind and sight of men. And uh, Verse 15 is speaking the truth in love. We can grow up into him. Verse 16, from whom? That's from Christ. The whole body joins together just right. Uh, God supplying every, every part that's needed. See, this expresses the ultimate purpose. Uh, or maybe better, the ultimate result of, of the pastor-church relationship, equipping saints in churches to serve the Lord and others. Now, negatively, believers should not be like, like, like infants who are easily swayed and confused, like waves being tossed back and forth. We live by the sea. We know what waves do. We, we know that they go wherever the wind and the current takes them. All right, we, we know how waves are tossed, but we should not be waves. We should be rocks that are founded on the rock who is Christ. Verse 14, there ought to be some, some discerning maturity. That we henceforth be no more children, literally babies. I mean, yes, there's a time to be a baby. That's when you're a baby. If you're not a baby... Not time to be a baby. There ought to be growth. There ought to be discernment. There ought to be the ability to discern when, by the slide of men here, that, that, that's a dice-throwing word something done with the intention of misleading into falsehood we ought to be able because we so know the truth to 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 recognize the error the only way to be able to detect error is to know the truth so we must come to the knowledge of the son of god to maturity knowledge and maturity working together and the conjunction and here makes them equal partners knowledge and maturity knowing and believing and putting into practice gives you the skill to know the truth to see the error your work of the ministry matures the church so that we don't become victims of error there's discerning maturity then there's doing the truth this is speaking the truth in love uh Paul stated positively here that uh, speaking the truth, that's really truthing in love, which has the idea of, of maintaining truth in love in both speech and life. We're to grow up unto him with all reference to all things. Christ then is the source of our growth. He's the aim of our growth. He's the goal of our growth. And speaking the truth in love, it, it's... Almost impossible to bring it all the way through in English. Truthing it is better. Being or, or walking in truth might be a little closer. Followers of truth and love might be a little bit closer. But it's one of those ideas that, that, that your life ought to be soaked in truth and, 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 and then wrapped in love. It cannot uh, 
they can't just be speaking the truth at all, at all costs, right? There has to be, uh, conditioned by love, a, a true-seeking, truth-being, um, the kind of love and truth walking together that builds people up, that repairs things, that, that mends things. If you're going to speak the truth and it's going to be hurtful and divisive and destructive, then you've done it wrong. All right? The speaking the truth, truthing, living in truth, means that the truth is spoken or lived, but there's a healing quality about it. Your work of the ministry will result in, in all of us living and doing the truth of the word of God, obeying what God says. Jesus is the truth. We will do and live Jesus when we've done our work. And then there's discipling, the building up of. That means that the converts are matured. And those that are not yet converts are converted. So we grow in stature and we grow in number. Both of these processes are encapsulated in edifying or, or building up the body. I want you to look in Matthew 28. Um, we, we need to take a gander at this. And don't worry, we're almost done. I know I'm a little bit late, but well, it's a weekend after Easter. What do you expect, right? Look at Matthew 28. 18 to 20, this is the great commission, the great commissioning of God's people. Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now I overused my thesaurus here. So just kind of bear with me. I think you'll see that it works a little bit. We see here, first of all, that our work includes witnessing. Right? It's teaching all nations. That is preaching the gospel. Then there is winning. Now, we, we know this because it says to baptize. The only converted people are ever supposed to get baptized. If you get baptized and you're not saved, you didn't get baptized. You just got wet. Okay? Uh, so if we're going to baptize them, we know that they've already trusted Christ. Uh, so we know that, that, that conversion is the next step. Then there's the wedding. Then there's the baptizing. After conversion, not until. It's the first step of obedience. Then there's the whelping. Okay? That, that's the thesaurus stretch, right? But it's teaching them. It is, it is maturing them, equipping them to do what Jesus has commanded them to do. And then we see the wisdom. They follow the commands of Christ when they are matured and they're equipped to do so. They will then begin to teach others and equip others. And then it begins to grow exponentially. But we have to first do that work of the ministry. Now, why is, why, this is why the church exists. This is why we gather as a community. This is the, 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 this is clear-cut in the New Testament. The church is to become a mature organism through the process of building up to honor and glorify God. And it's the process uh, that we take into the world to witness and, and, and to share Christ with them. Maturity in this body of Christ can be identified really 
by three, if I can say, enduring virtues and not sound too, too airy there, but faith, hope, and love. The degree of completeness and maturity and equipping can be measured by the degree to which this church, we manifest faith, hope, and love. Faith is our source of, source of strength. Jesus is the object of our faith. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in Christ. We trust him for salvation, and we trust him for sanctification. We trust him to empower us to live the truth. And then there's hope. Hope is our manner of living. It's the way we live. This hope is our earnest expectation of a sure thing. Our hope is and is in Christ. See, we earnestly expect Jesus to come back for us. We know it'll happen, and we live, first of all, as if it could happen at any moment, and secondly, we live as if we want it to happen at any moment. A lot of people want to go to heaven, they just don't want to go right now. That's because they don't understand that what is there is immeasurably better than anything they think they might miss or leave behind here. We live understanding that this life is temporary and is fleeting and, 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 and it's not where we're going to spend eternity. We live in the sure thing that we will be in heaven forever. That is our manner of living. And then love is demonstrated by our strength through this manner, demonstrating our faith through our hope. We have faith, we have hope, and now love. Faith gives us the strength to live in the hope of heaven. The way we live, our manner of living, will be different because of our hope. Hope is the way we demonstrate our strength through our manner of living. Love is what we do because our priority is heaven and Jesus. Love is what we do because we are empowered by Christ to do this. You see, church is where you're equipped to live this kind of life. Church is where you are equipped to spiritually grow. Church is where you learn to do the ministry. Church is really where and, and from where you branch out to do the work that Christ has called you to do. Church is where you find the fullness of the knowledge of Christ. Church is where all of this happens. It can't happen except here. Nowhere else does God give uh, anything, any setup whereby all of this takes place. This is God's plan. This is God's plan for you and your church to come and to grow and to work. It's for you to be in and involved and equipped to serve and work in your church. That's what God's plan is for you and your church. And all of this is because Jesus is alive. You remember that, right? We do all of this because Jesus is alive. We serve a risen Savior. That's why we do this. That's why we want to grow. That's why we want to learn more about Christ. That's why we want to, to have others come to the knowledge of Christ. That's why we want others to come to faith in Christ. Because Jesus is alive. 
No, go and get busy. Seriously, stand up with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. We've picked a closing hymn that I don't know. So we're going to find another closing hymn. Four sixty nine. Four sixty nine. If you have been redeemed, then you should love to proclaim it. Let's sing four. Did I say 469? 649. I'm sorry. 649. Yes, I am just all messed up this morning. 649 redeemed. We'll get it straight in just a little bit. Here we go. What's up? child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, his child and forever I am. Thank you for your patience with that. Uh, Mike, could you close us in prayer this morning, please? Our Father, thank you, Lord, for this time. together, Lord, there might be some people here that have never accepted Christ as their Savior. They don't know if they die today that they would go to heaven. And Lord, we pray that they might make that decision to accept Christ, to receive Him as their Savior, their only hope for salvation before they leave this place today. So Lord, again, we're thankful for what Jesus has done in dying on the cross to pay for our sins. We look to Him. Lead us and the guide us and direct, direct us in our lives. We ask these things in His precious name. Amen. 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 All right, go get some lunch and then go get busy.